Welcome to Terror Talk. Before we start the show today, I wanted to give you a heads up about our Patreon community. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron and join our Discord community, where we watch film together and chat daily. You also have early access to our episodes and a mini-cast that we do exclusively for Patreon members. Also, check out our new website at terrortalkpodcast.com. Follow along as we build it together. Most of all, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello, lady. So today on the show, we are going to discuss the movie Shutter Island, which is uh, another movie that is the Scorsese DiCaprio team up. So we are going to spoil this movie. (laughs) So (laughs) there it is. If you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, I definitely would consider seeing it. It's actually a good movie. So let me read the description. The implausible, (laughs) implausible, hmm. the implausible escape of a brilliant murderess brings U.S. Marshal Teddy Daniels, which is Leonardo DiCaprio, and his new partner, Mark Ruffalo, to Ashcliffe Hospital, which is basically uh, Alcatraz, a fortress-like insane asylum located on a remote, windswept island. The woman appears to have vanished from a locked room, and there are hints of terrible deeds committed within the hospital walls. As the investigation deepens, Teddy realizes he will have to confront his own dark fears if he hopes to make it off the island alive. Yeah. You know, mystery thriller. So it's in the horror landscape because thrillers are horror in my book. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of horrifying things (laughs) that happened in this movie, actually. Mm -hmm. So let's just start with this. We both watched this movie recently now for the show, but we're watching it. We're rewatching it from like the first time we watched it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have the frame of reference that I have now for this movie. So it was a very different experience for me. I I didn't remember a lot of the movie. So some of the twists and turns of it were twists and turns again, because I just didn't really remember it. But I don't know. What was your experience of like rewatching? I guess. I think the first time I watched it, I definitely watched it more like a thriller. Yeah. And this time I watched it and it was so much more of a metaphor for mental illness. Oh yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Which can be psychologically terrifying. So it's fitting. Well, and one of the, so I'll just say about the movie, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous movie. The set design is exceptional. The imagery is really beautiful. There's these, as he, as Leonardo's character um, gets more complex as he becomes revealed, the character like is revealed to the audience along the way. The, um, the imagery gets more and more, you know, just kind of like Hannibal, that show, like Mm -hmm. the imagery gets fairly beautiful and symbolic. There's a lot of, uh, symbolism in this movie. Um, you know, and I'll just, I want to note two things about the symbolism that might, help us as we go through and explore uh, delusions and hallucinations and trauma and, and some of the other things. And Kathy's going to bring a couple of cases uh, into it as well, that she's worked with people who have done some of these crimes that are in this movie is one of the, one of the more important for me is symbolic things that is in this movie that you can, as a movie nerd, you can go back and track and look at all of the Easter eggs is that 
Leonardo's character is really dealing with um, the idea of reality and fantasy or the reality and um, subconscious reality. So in this movie, fire symbolizes uh, his fantasy and water symbolizes his reality. And so what you can do if you choose to is to go back and watch this movie and look for all of the places where there's water, which is what his character is very afraid of. So what you'll see is his aversion to water right out of the gate. He, he wants to, um, you know, avoid going near water. There's even one point where like, you know, glasses of water and different things, there's all these little things that happen. And so you pick up on, you can, if you go back and look at it with that knowledge, you can pick up on all the places where Leonardo's um, character is averting reality by being afraid of water. And then the, on the opposite is where he, um, where he doesn't really, there's a fire is his fantasy. So in some of the more symbolic scenes, there's, there's always fire around him. And so you get to know that when there's fire, he's in his delusion. When there's water, he's averting reality. He might be in his, you know, he might be, something might be pushing him to get real, but he doesn't want to do it. He's pushing back. Yeah, I love the, very early on, Ben Kingsley, who plays the psychiatrist, um, before you even know what's going on, he says, you have excellent defense mechanisms. (laughs) Um, And it sort of, it foreshadows the rest of the movie. It totally does. If you know what happens, it's a really interesting experience to watch it when you know what happens because there's so much Easter egg Mm -hmm. stuff along the way. It's like so well-crafted. I just think it's just so well written and crafted in the way Scorsese um, did that. And I don't know. I and just, even just the idea of fire being much more powerful um, or we see it that way, but water being much more intimidating, it can literally drown you. Well, and yeah, absolutely. And I think about water um, as, you know, water puts out fire. Yeah. So it's like reality putting yep. out fantasy, right? So like mm-hmm. I, I kind of think about it that way too. Like, oh, I don't, I, I need, for Leonardo's character, it's like I need to live in this um, this delusion. I keep using the word fantasy because that's just a thing. But it's like a psychological thing. But in his delusion, he has to, he he wants to live in that. So he wants to avoid water and water puts out fire. So water would, he, he sort of instinctually knows that or thinks or believes that water would put out his ability to live in the fantasy that he hadn't killed his wife and that she hadn't killed their children, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really what this movie ends up being about. So I think we're going to talk a little bit about delusion first. I think you wanted to discuss, you know, the idea of a mental prison and yeah, I mean, I just think when people and I'll, Uh, you know, there's these, this is a lot of the work that I did early on, um, coming out of my doctoral work was with patients like this. Okay. And so even if we're looking at someone who isn't criminally insane and just the day to day, all of us have defense mechanisms and we're all delusional to a certain extent (laughs) because those delusions at times can, can be protective factors to a certain extent. Um, I think that, um, you know, in, in Leonardo's case, it's these delusions that kept him from completely breaking and working with people who have, either murdered their own children or their own parents or a sibling or um, to a certain extent, 
we don't automatically try to rob them out of their delusions entirely, which is something I, you know, appreciated about the film is Ben Kingsley, who plays the psychiatrist, does sort of go along to his, I mean, at the end, you know, when he's, he has to become more real with him, but there's a period there where he knows he sort of has to follow these delusions. And, and the work that we do when we're working with people who are either mentally disordered offenders or have delusional disorders or um, have been found legally insane or not guilty by reason of insanity, depending on what state you're in, um, is those delusions are there to protect the psyche. So we can't smash somebody over the head with a hammer and saying, no, that's not what's happening. Wake up. It's like waking somebody up from sleepwalking. It can actually be incredibly dangerous. So the movie sort of, uh, walks us through that delusion at the pace that Ben Kingsley sort of working with him. Yeah. It's so great. I I just want to make sure that the audience knows what we're talking about is that the, the, construct of the story is that Ben Kingsley has sort of gone against all of, you know, the psychological community of the time. And what he's done is the reveal is, is that what Ben Kingsley has done is it orchestrated an elaborate role play for Leonardo. And, and this was, this was the treatment he decided to do to try and have Leonardo's character go through this elaborate psychodrama, which is right up my alley, to imaginally heal. And so there's, you know, his partner is is actually his psychiatrist, you know, um, and they put together this whole role play. And that's another thing you can track if you go back and look at the movie is because there's all these scenes where, you know, there's cops hovering around, <laughs> And, and he's a cop and he's a cop yeah supposedly in you know? his mind yeah and 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 was or mm-hmm. what have you so anyway i just wanted to say that because it's pretty cool <laughs> the construct of the movie yeah it really is so so i i just thought that was really cool how right. i mean it's something we see this very similar similarly mm-hmm. in the movie lars and the real girl which ironically patricia clarkson is also in that and plays the psychiatrist <laughs> in that to uh, Ryan Gosling's character. But I think um, it's really important to sort of recognize that those delusions were really holding a protective factor for him. And I, I like the way that you describe that sort of, you know, allowed him to play through that psychodrama. Um, we do this with, with clients who are not uh like I was just saying earlier, not um, pathologically delusional, but people would come in with defenses. They come in with fantasies. They come in with delusions. We're not just going to jump straight out the gate and go, that's not true. No, we're going to investigate no. that. And and also I just want to say like that, we get that a lot, that question a lot. Like I get that um, reflection from a lot of people and from a lot of new clinicians mm-hmm. where, you know, people will come to them with psychosis and delusions and they'll want to confront how it's not true. And it's like, and they get, and there's so much frustration around, but, but they're, but they're, it's not true. I want to say what you're talking about isn't real or true or right. Or, you know, there's this insane human urge (laughs) to confront imagination and delusion. And, I just, it's like, we have to roll with them because yep. you what exactly what you're saying, stripping someone of their defenses. That's why Ben Kingsley's character is attempting not to do that right. because he believes so profoundly in the idea 
that you cannot strip Leo of his defenses because he will die. It will be that critical. Do you remember the conversation that he has with, um, I believe she's in his mind, but when they're talking about the medication and the neurotoxins and all of that, and she says to him, recreate a man who can never be interrogated because he has no memories to confess. Mm -hmm. And I love that part because it's basically a fantasy that I think almost everybody has, which is that if we remove our psychological vulnerability, we all of a sudden feel, although not true, this is not true, that we become limitless in a way. And so through these defenses and these delusions that Leo um, musters up for for his protection is he's essentially getting rid of anything that would leave him vulnerable or susceptible to like you were saying that water or that reality. And Mm -hmm. I know that there are times in my life, even though I'm, I don't have a delusional disorder that it's like, man, I wish I could just remove myself of that torment. Absolutely. I mean, even just on a really kind of basic everyday level, like we all have defenses. One of my defenses is humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's considered a relatively high level defense or what have you, supposedly. That's, I'm not saying it's better no, it or is. worse, but it's considered a more high level defense. In other words, it's something that we all can do and it's not necessarily unhealthy. And all, well, not all of us can do it. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there have been times in my life where, and maybe, maybe you'll relate to this or people will relate to this, where, you know, you make a joke or something and 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 someone really kind of stabs you with the idea that you're using it as a defense against something. I'm I can't think of a specific example, but you know, a friend or someone will unknowingly sort of go like, "Oh, well, aren't, you know, kind of like and it'll and it'll stab me in a shame in a shame mm-hmm. poke. And for me, shame feels like my, I get my chest gets hot mm-hmm. and I get really, you, you just, you just feel that wave of shame. If you've mm-hmm. ever, I mean, everybody's felt shame. They mm-hmm. just might not actually identify it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it feels when someone really just names your defense. And it happens in therapy all the time. You can tell when you've like fucked up with a client and you've gone a little bit too far than they were willing to acknowledge with a shame thing. It's like, Call it like we do it all the time with people we know, but it's like calling someone on that is that stripping them of the defense mm-hmm. in a moment where they really need that defense because mm-hmm. you know maybe I'm I don't I'm not remembering, but like maybe I'm making that joke because the topic I can't really go there mm-hmm. at that moment in time, let's say, and you calling attention to my defense is like shameful because I'm defending against it and it floods in the information I'm needing to avoid in that moment in order Mm -hmm. to stay stable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very much something that everybody goes through, but also like this is an, this movie amplifies that where with stripping someone of their defenses is, um, is not a healthy thing. No, it can be incredibly dangerous. And if it's someone who, um, we know has the potential for dangerousness. Now Mm -hmm. his character 
is questionable only because his was a reaction to his children being killed by his wife. Um, so does that, you know, if we're looking at this from a, a risk assessment, is this a guy who's going to go recidivate? Uh, I mean, probably not. It seemed like this was quite impulsive and there's many dimensions to his character. But if we're looking at somebody who might be more potentially like overtly dangerous, um, we actually could trigger something. Mm-hmm. Um, that could create that impulsivity and that dangerousness to occur. And as a clinician, that is um, a really intimidating space to be in. So we we have to be we have to tread lightly when we're doing this work with them because they're emotionally fragile. She talks the sa- the same woman that I'm talking about. This is you know create recreate a man who can never be interrogated. She talks about how the brain controls fear, pain, and empathy. Our brains, our minds, our psyches really do create our reality. We all live in a different one. We have a, there's a central one that we're all sort of, um, you know, tapped into. That's how we survive and coexist is there is a, there's, there's a, a reality that does exist. But as far as like perception is everything. Mm-hmm. So we're all in some, we're all delusional in some way, maybe not in a pathological way, but I think that this movie really illuminates how our brain really controls how we perceive moments, how we process pain, um, somatization, all of that really comes from the brain. It doesn't come from any real, it's like a universal reality. Yeah. It's not like coming from the soul or coming from the heart or any of that. Like, yeah. And, and yeah, the, it's not a cultural delusion, although we could go down that arc. We could go down that arc too. We would, uh, no, uh, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Personal delusion. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that watching his character this time and having the experience I've had working with patients who have committed these sorts of crimes and are not psychopaths mm-hmm. um, that were truly mentally disordered or found not guilty by reason of insanity, this is a death sentence for them. Yeah, and I think that also leads us into maybe a short conversation about trauma because this movie, what it, what it does is it, it ends up telling you that at least it suggests that the reason why he went down this particular um, delusional and psychotic uh, rabbit hole is that he witnessed his mentally ill wife. He didn't witness the killings, but he came home and his mentally ill wife had, killed their three children, drowned them in the lake that's out back outside the house. And he came home to that and then killed her and is burying the memory of all of that in a delusion that he is still a police officer and that he has been dispatched to this insane asylum or whatever, which is the role play that they're doing. And so the movie eventually reveals that to you as the reality or the water, you know, drown in water, right? So water's reality. Um, that's the reality he's avoiding. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. It's really powerful. Um, and you know, people who commit these sorts of crimes will spend their eternity paying penance. You know, I remember a particular client of mine who 
had a command hallucination that she must kill her daughter to save whatever. And, you know, here she was working with me and her daughter at this point was probably a grown adult. I mean, it been years. And there was a part of her that had split off certain um, pieces of it just to be able to exist and Mm -hmm. thrive and all of that. But when we would revisit her crime, which is part of the work that we do just because it is trauma work. Like, you know, we've talked about trauma work on the show many times where their memory of it and retelling of it and things like that, um, can change the feelings and the emotions. And, and in this case, even the responsibility around it. And, you know, even to that day when she were to, was to tell her crime and it becomes more intellectualized over time, there's still, you know, she was very aware and, and, um, understood the impact and what she had done and, and how she lost her daughter. I mean, her daughter survived and went on to live with a, you know, foster and adopted and all of that. But she had to live the rest of her life knowing that she did that to her child Mm -hmm. at a moment of, a psychotic break Mm -hmm. because she was um, a woman of color who probably did not have access to mental health. Imagine this is years ago. We still have this problem now Mm -hmm. undiagnosed with, I I think she was bipolar with psychotic features. I think Mm -hmm. I'm um, and, and just my God, like here we are 25 years later and she's still reliving this as part of her work. I mean, I just, it is a mental prison. It's a death sentence. Yeah, I can't. I mean, just hearing you describe that, it's it's that it's a very visceral and palpable feeling of, you know, when you ruminate. <laughs> it's like some of us just on a regular level, you know, ruminating at bedtime about the things and not being able to let it go, and then amplify that by a thousand million of something that there is so much shame and so much guilt around, and so much sadness. I imagine her sadness. I just, that's kind of the feeling I get. Like I just imagined her sadness and, and shame. And then it, it vacillates between that and almost depersonalizing, oh, right? You'd have to, and my it, God, speaking of defense mechanisms, I mean, well, you'd have to depersonalize it. There was another guy who had uh, murdered both of his parents, buried them in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he was on the cover of every newspaper um i think he was also he may have been schizoaffective uh not that his diagnosis matters but just to kind of throw in some of the diagnoses that we would see and um which which is essentially a combination of a mood disorder and and a psychotic disorder schizophrenia and an affective disorder and um by the time i mean even just seeing him show up every day to program uh to the program, he, it's like he was just, there was nothing behind his eyes. He was medicated and it wasn't necessarily the medication that was making him look that way. I would imagine it was the years of trauma and almost like having to live with that. And in order to live with that, detach from it, but then the program's going, you can't detach from it because you have to be responsible for it. I mean, the weight of that. I, I can't even 
imagine. And I'm I'm also thinking the kindling on his brain over yep. so many years. And of medication. Of medication and maybe lack of medication. That yep. the whatever mental health issues he was dealing with prior to having access to meds and his crimes and all of that, you know, just the kindling that happened in his brain from the mental illness. And, uh, I just, our brains. Yeah. I can't even imagine how someone like that would connect. And then especially with our cultural norm of, of believing and knowing that, you know, connecting to the story and then being able to emotionally, tolerate the story and tell the story and I, I mean I just feel like that's too big and there of course now there are lots of trauma therapies where you don't have to do that there's mm-hmm. you know um, somatic experiencing and there's uh, EMDR and there's all these different kinds of treatments where they've been been very effective I don't know if they would be effective in these situations right. but but just like I can see our industry trying to connect to things that would not be narrative mm-hmm. uh, would not be um finding that story uh, and the telling of it and all of that is the healing part of it. And I can see why. Only yeah. I mean, in a non-forensic uh, um, area, I mean, arena, I think that the somatic work can be incredibly in like incredible as far as like uh, treatment mm-hmm. goes. But in these situations where, they're forced to talk about it. No, this is, this is, I mean, let's, I mean, I think that's important to know how you having worked in our, our system around this is that, you know, we are working in a kind of a manualized care, DSM driven, medically driven sort of situation where, you know, doing an elaborate role play on an island like Ben Kingsley is doing this is not something that anybody is going to let you do. No. So that's what's fun about the movie for me <laughs> is that this is amazing. You know, this, this would be something that someone in my field in your field would think of and want to try, mm-hmm. um, the psychodrama approach to doing this. Um, and I think one of the interesting things about this is that at the end of the movie, what happens is what happens is, is that you realize in the course of this conversation that happens at the end that Leonardo knows and has come back to reality and makes a conscious decision to not embrace that and a conscious decision to lead them. There's this one just really brilliant conversation at the end and you can miss the nuance if it's not there. So, you know, uh, watch it a few times maybe and make your own opinion, but he knows what reality he, it works is Mm -hmm. my point. The role play works and he knows the difference between fiction and reality and he still, and then he pretends he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so he mindfully and willfully in his right mind chooses to get a lobotomy Mm -hmm. because he cannot live with the trauma. And that's what you're talking about with your clients, like slogging through and living every day with what you've done, whether you have opinions about, whether that's right or not, you know, everyone's going to have like, well, yeah, they deserve it, et cetera. That's fine. But he chooses mindfully not to do that. And I get it mm-hmm. and just from what you're saying from, you know, real cases and from the movie, it's like, I completely get why someone would make that. Decision. He's like, no, I can't, I, I got to live in the fire. I, I'm not going to get drowned by this. Well, water. I, I can't I'm, do it. We've seen a number of patients who either 
self-sabotaged or um, very in, in with a lot of awareness say, I don't want to be in conditional release. I want to go back to the hospital because in the hospital, I then can not do this much work. I can absolutely see that. Mm-hmm. I, I can. And it just reminds me of when people want to go back to prison. And, and the other thing I'll just say is when we're looking, and again, we're talking about mentally disordered offenders. We're not talking about people who are inherently psychopathic or sociopathic. Mm-mm. We're talking about people who committed crimes because of a mental illness, not a characterological disorder. So um, I think that these are people who know that they could continue to work this hard in conditional release, meaning that they're what conditional release means is that they're out in the community underneath a lot of supervision and, and program requirements. Um, But they're, it's so hard to prove that you're no longer dangerous. Mm. And so many of them get warehoused. Um, So what might, put you in something else could Mm. hold you from ever being restored to, you know, we call it restoration to sanity, being back out into the world without all of these, you know, all this oversight. So the criteria for proving that you are no longer insane for lack of a better word, criminally insane, um, is really high. I imagine. Well, you can be civilly committed indefinitely. Yeah. When you serve a prison sentence, it's over, you're out. Mm -hmm. So people often will say, well, I mean, just get the insanity plea. It's like, Like, you don't mm, want that. Not unless you're actually criminally insane. Not unless you're actually (laughs) insane because you could be civilly committed for the rest of your life. Yeah, and and, and that's an interesting fallacy that I think our media, our TV shows. Sure. Definitely sell us. They totally sell us that, 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 oh, you know, because the lawyers will be so incensed that someone's going to be go to a psychiatric hospital instead of prison. And it's like, that's yeah. super interesting how our culture just, and I think that's the pathology of mental illness as if it's, you like, give up as if it's easier than prison, which from what you're saying, right. it's obviously not, you are completely submissive to the system. You give up yes. your rights by saying, I was insane, mm-hmm. therefore all charges are dropped, but and I am now I'm a ward to I, you. Yes. yes. I, I cannot be trusted. That's right. And I can never And I'm not in the right mind. And to be rehabilitated from that is sounds tougher than than just serving a prison sentence. Oh, the, the proof that people need, even with multiple attorneys, to be restored to sanity. Yeah, huge, massive. I, I mean, I don't even need to know. Like, yeah. that's just, I mean. It's small. Absolutely. All right. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Thank you, guys. This was a really interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. So It's a great movie. Check it out. It's definitely in my, you know, bank of mental health movies that I wanted to discuss eventually. So I'm so glad we got to do that. And it was really enjoyable watching it again. So thank you so much for listening to terror talk. My name is Shannon and I'm Kathy sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of terror talk. 
please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.